We'll be reading from that in just a minute. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24, but uh, just to give a little context, um, as we get started, we're going to kind of reiterate where we were in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, as Brother Kevin said, I, and I, I told him before the service started, this may be a pretty short message. I'm going to go as long as I can. Um, you know, it's it's a strange, every time I told somebody at work what happened, I had to, this happened on um, Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember now, and so I'd be at work telling people, and they said, you said what? <laughs> There's a hole that goes all the way through to your sinuses. It's uh, one of the strangest things that's ever happened to me. So, you know, as I'm talking or, or you know, anything, really, you can, I can kind of feel air going through, and um, after a while, it'll, it'll start getting pretty sore, so we're going to go probably about 30 minutes at, at the most i know everybody's really disappointed about that um having a short sermon but um but I, I think there's some some beautiful things some wonderful things that we can glean from matthew chapter 6 uh, that tie in very nicely with what we've been studying there in the first first chapter of uh second timothy if you remember in the first chapter of second timothy this is uh paul writing uh to the young minister timothy and um, the real big overall focus of the first chapter is fear and anxiety, and he's he's kind of stirring Timothy up and saying, "You can't be anxious, you can't be fearful, you can't be timid. You got to be bold as a preacher of the gospel." Um, the key verse there is that verse seven: "For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind." Then he kind of goes into the concept of being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Be not thou therefore ashamed. So uh, kind of still in that same um, heading of, of fear and anxiety. Um, talks about the salvation uh, by which we've been saved and what a great salvation is. Is nothing to be ashamed of was the title of that message. And um, then he talked about suffering a little bit and how um, that shouldn't keep us from our commitment to the Lord and to that salvation that is so great. Uh, he said, hold fast, sound words, those things that you've been taught. Don't let fear and anxiety keep you from, from truth, those things that, are, uh, that we consider to be the truth. And then the last thing that we talked about from that chapter was in verses 15 through 18. He tells him about two categories of people that Paul knew, um, one of which had followed his teaching and the other which had rejected his teaching and was, was doing false teaching. So he said, Timothy, you've got to be careful who you hang around and, and the company that you keep. That will determine your attitude a lot of the times. And so as we begin, before we even jump into Matthew, um, one thing I didn't really tie in on that was the fear and anxiety angle of that. I kind of made it more about the truth, which I think is in the text. But you know that it's true with fear and anxiety, too. If you surround yourself with people that are fearful and anxious all the time and unbelieving, that that stuff is contagious. I mean, it really is. Uh, you look at our nation through this pandemic, and, and I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm not saying there weren't some legitimate fears, but it swept like an ocean tide across this country, just fear, pure fear. Uh, it's almost like God's not in control. This pandemic's in control. And, you know, people just, they acted in ways that were unreasonable, uh, you know, because of fear. And it is contagious, so we want to surround ourselves with people who are not fearful, but who react in faith uh, and, and with some steadiness and steadfastness. Uh, that's what we would rather um, surround ourselves with. I think that's a good lesson for Timothy there. 
uh, at the end of that first chapter, and then therefore us as well. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6, kind of reinforce the whole concept here. And so really we're just talking about fear and anxiety as a whole today um, and, and some, some exhortations that Christ shared uh, in the Sermon on the Mount about fear and anxiety particularly. Uh, but, but once again, before we jump in, uh, Brother Lewis came and spoke to us this week on this topic at TCPS, and he mentioned this passage briefly. It wasn't his focus. His focus was more over in, uh, in 1 Peter, where it says, uh, casting all our cares upon him, for he careth for you. That word cares there, casting all our cares upon him, that's the same word that's translated anxiety uh, in other places. That's what he means. He says, take all your anxiety and cast it on him because he cares for you. So um, that's, that's a, a wonderful concept to think about, that the reason we don't have to fear and have anxiousness and worry about the future is because God cares for his people. He cares about the big things, and this is the part we have a hard time with. He cares about the little things too. So, you know, um, sometimes when... We talk to other people. You may think, well, what in the world are they worried about that for? Have you ever thought that? Like, good grief, they're, they're creating things to worry about tomorrow that probably won't even come to pass. You might have thought that when you talked to somebody before. God's not like that. To him, your cares are his cares. He cares for you. So he wants to, uh, uh, not he wants to, he will take care of you. And, and he wants to know those things that are on your heart and mine and so that that then goes to prayer which uh, we'll get to a little bit later but fear first of all before we go any further fear and anxiety is sin that's what it is uh, now we justify it we say well it's just part of the human condition there are fears that are natural and okay but the kind of fear that we're talking about the kind of anxiety and worry that we're talking about we don't need to justify it or or kind of try to sweep it under the rug if, if you're constantly negative, you know, and you're constantly worried about tomorrow and the future and, and what's going to happen or what's going on in your life right now, that is simply sin is what it is. Now, I love what Brother Lewis said about that. He said, you know, that's actually good news that fear and anxiety is sin. And, and here's, here's how I explain that. I think this is, is really, it, it really helped me a lot to see it in a different light. The fact that fear is sin is good news because that means that we can deal with it. That means that Christ died for it. That means that uh, I can deal with it because when Christ died, he not only paid for my sin of fear and anxiety, he also gave me the power over it to overcome it. So you can overcome fear and anxiety, and I have a positive message for you this morning in that we don't have to have fear and anxiety, and we can overcome it because it is sin and because Christ has paid for sin, and we know we have an advocate with the Father who can lead us through fear and anxiety to trust and faith on him. So dealing with it as sin is very important. Um, the passage in, in um, 1 Peter, I'm, I'm going to turn there too before we jump into You don't have to turn there probably very familiar with that passage. 1 Peter 5, um, verse 6 and 7, Humble yourselves therefore, therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, this is one of those few times that I'm going to get into translations and 
which translations are better and not. King James Version, if you have the King James Version Bible, your Bible has a colon at the end of verse 6, and it continues the sentence on into verse 7, and there's a period at the end of verse 7. That's really important. There's some translations that put a period at the end of verse 6. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, period. New thought. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the, I mean, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Different thought. It's not. In the, in the original language, and in, in the, the language that this was written in, that's all one thought, one sentence, and it needs to be that way in our Bible as well. So in the King James Version, it got it right, that those two things are together. So then we have to deal with that. So why, why are those two thoughts linked together? What, is, what does humility have to do <coughs> with, with fear and anxiety? Well, humility is us submitting ourselves to God. It's saying that God's in control, I'm not in control, right? That On a very simple level. It's saying that I can't control the future. I'm, I have to submit to God. God can control the future. That's humility. That's me saying I'm not in control. I've got to humble myself under God because God is in control. Well, I think just from that definition of humility, you can see the, the link there with fear and anxiety. If I can't control the future and I've got to humble myself under God, then why am I concerned and, and fearful about what's going to come to pass because I can't change it? And it's one of the points we'll see uh, as we go through what Christ shares with us in the Sermon on the Mount. So fear and anxiety come from a loss or a feeling of loss of control. And because of that, then you worry about what's going to happen. You know, for instance, if you have you know, $2 million in the bank, do you have much fear and anxiety about paying your bills next month? No, <laughs> because it's pretty well taken care of, right? You think you got it. If you have $100 in the bank and you've got $500 in bills coming in the next month, yeah, you get fearful and anxious about that and how am I going to do that? And I'm not even saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Some of that's probably natural. But you get fearful and anxious about that because, and why is the difference? It's because you don't have control. You, can't, you don't have what you need to be able to say that, yes, I'm going to be able to take care of that. So in our lives, when these big issues come up and we're fear, fearful and anxious about our health or about these other things that, that are clearly out of our control, it, that's the issue. It's because we're, we're not humbling ourselves and saying God's the one in control. Even if I had the means, they could be taken from me in an instant. Did you know that? See, we're not fearful and anxious if we have a million dollars in the bank, but the truth is that could be taken from you before that next month got there. <laughs> All those things are temporal anyway, so it could be taken from you anyway. So truthfully, we just have to submit ourselves to God under his control. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll dive in. We're going to read uh, verse 24 all the way down through verse 34, and then we're just going to pull eight different uh, things that Jesus teaches us through this text about fear and anxiety. No man can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? 
Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So we're going to look at eight different things out of these verses that Jesus teaches us about, about uh, fear and anxiety and, and how we overcome those things in our life. And the first one comes from verse 25. But if you notice, I started reading with verse 24. Reason for that, verse 25 starts with the word therefore. So we have to go back and see what, what concepts being talked about in verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or he'll love the other and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you can't serve God and be all about the things of the world at the same time. He said that doesn't work. And then look at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment so it's kind of a strange way of saying it but he says life is more than food and the body is more than clothing so that's the way we could kind of restate that and you say well that's a that's a weird statement so life is more than food so what would happen if you completely quit eating food just completely stop at some point what's going to take place you're going to die okay so you say well there's that's an untrue statement no, it's not, because to the believer, what is the body? The body itself is temporal. It's not our ultimate. It's not this, this body and this life and at this time right now, this is not all there is. Are you, are you happy about that? I am. I know Brother Jonathan is right now. Um, his body broke down. He, he was paralyzed. He couldn't do a lot of the things he wanted to do, but, but life's more than that. Life is about way more than that. We're worth more than that, which he's going to even say, um, so when he says this, life can't be sustained without food and the body will freeze without clothes. But what Jesus uh, means here, and, and I think in a literal way, is that, that we are worth more than just our bodies in this, in this temporal time. We are eternal beings. And so all these temporal things, has there ever been a Christian that has starved to death? You think that's true? Absolutely it's true. In fact, some of them were in prison and never fed, and just died of starvation, and died of cold. They weren't given clothes. They were thrown into prison naked. They, and eventually, you know, like I said about food, if you don't eat for a certain period of time, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Well, if you were to go out in, in the wilderness and, and not have any cover, not have any, eventually exposure is going to get you. So uh, those things are all true, but yet um, we don't have to worry about that because that's not what all life is about for us. We are eternal beings we have eternal life that goes on beyond these things 
So we don't worry about those things. And there's a promise that's going to come later. So I know that sounds really, really negative uh, right now to say, uh, don't be anxious about what you put on because uh, the body's eternal. Uh, but there's going to be some defense against that too. Um, the bottom line defense, I think, is what he's stating here in the beginning. The bottom line defense against anxiety is that in Christ you're immortal and to die is gain. So even in the worst of circumstances, even in the worst of things, even if it does take our life, we are immortal. We are eternal because he died for us. So it's kind of the same concept, and you don't have to turn here, but in Luke chapter 12, verse 4, you remember when Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that they can't do anything else. Fear him instead who can kill the body and the soul. It's, it's the same concept there. We're not to fear those or those things that kill the body, but rather he that has body and soul. So we're more than just a body. We have a soul that is eternal, that will be with him uh, forever. So that's, I think he's just kind of setting a baseline there in the beginning, saying uh, that our, our bodies are eternal, so even all these temporal things ultimately are not, not important because Christ has died for us, and therefore we will live with him eternally. Now, he says the reason for that next. So in verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? So uh, premise here, premise number two that Jesus is sharing is, um, that is true that ultimately we're immortal, so th these things don't matter, but he says, but on the other hand, God feeds the birds. And he does that in, in you know, amazing ways. They, they, they have, you know, food to eat. He provides for them. And yet we're way more valuable than that. Um, people who are really, really attached to their pets might get mad when I say this. But, you know, did you know that, that human life, that God created human life is superior to all animal life and that we're different? That, you know, I, I hate to tell you that little Fluffy, you know, God, Jesus didn't die for Fluffy. Jesus didn't die for your dog. Uh, I know we love them, and, and, and it's good to have pets. But, you know, some of these times when, when people's pets die and they start posting this stuff on Facebook, I'm cringing. I'm like, you know, your dog doesn't have angel wings right now. It just doesn't. It's there, there's an order in creation. And, and human beings are superior to animals. He said, you're worth much more than them, and I provide for them. How much more, then, am I going to provide for you? So he kind of creates this um, comparison between the birds of the air and his people to whom, uh, of course, they are much more valuable him than the sparrows. So um, once again, I think that reminds us of that First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him before, because he cares for you. Uh, he cares for us, and, and we have to remember that. A lot of our anxiety comes because we don't remember that. We don't think about that. Jesus tells the people here in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells them here when he's talking about fear and anxiety, you're worth far more than the sparrows. So he's reminding them of their worth in him uh, because we're his people. He cares for us, and even in those little things, he's going to accomplish his will in us. He's going to provide for his people. Now, um, thirdly, in verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? 
that's kind of the one that as he's going through these arguments, this one just kind of feels out of place a little bit. I almost wanted to even kind of save it and then go back to it or something, but I thought, no, Jesus put it in right in the middle for a reason. As we're thinking about all of these things, Jesus wants to remind us of something that's extremely important when we talk about fear and anxiety, a simple, practical argument. Fear and anxiety accomplish nothing. Do you know that? The more you worry about it's not changing anything. <laughs> You're not, I mean, it, it does no good whatsoever. You have no power to change the future. So because of that, um, he says, you know, like, for instance, and the, the example he uses, you know, I remember when, when I was younger playing basketball, I just thought, man, if I had six more inches, you know, if I could just be six foot six and play guard <laughs> instead of being, you know, 5'11", 6 foot and play guard, man, I, that would be, and, and I probably did sit around and try to add to my stature just by thinking about it, you know. It didn't work. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't just say, well, I think I'd rather be six foot eight. And then it happened. Um, God can. Now, God can change that. He could do that in an instant, or he could do it through natural processes. He could do it however he wants to do it. So when, when God looks at the future, it is him accomplishing his will. He's not reactive. He's not, in other words, God doesn't, things don't happen, and then God says, oh, I got a plan for that. I can fix that. That's not how it works. He declares the end from the beginning. God is actively working his will through time in our lives. So he, tomorrow for him is nothing. It is the continuance of his will being fulfilled in our lives. For us, it's something that we have absolutely no control over. And so Jesus just wanted to remind us of that here in the middle of this passage. He said, you can, you know, how many of you can sit here and just, um, the exact wording here, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? How, how many of you have that kind of power? And the answer is nobody. So we need to really remember that and understand that I'm not accomplishing anything by being anxious about tomorrow, being fearful about tomorrow, um, and, and, and uh, thinking that I can control that which is coming because we can't. Uh, we just have to admit that from the beginning. Now, this is where I'm going to put in my disclaimer too, and I'm not going to mention it again. It is not wrong for us to think about the future. It is not wrong for us to, to be concerned about providing for our families for the future. That is not a bad thing. That's not fear and anxiety. That is us doing what God told us to do. Um, believe it or not, and I know this is very untrue in our society today, but Jesus, I mean, the, the Bible itself plainly teaches us that he who doesn't work should not what? Not eat. So we should work and plan and try to provide and make sure that we have food for our family. Those things are all good. That's not what's under consideration here. This is fear and anxiety over those things. So if we do what God tells us to do, then we just trust him. And, and uh, we, we know that he's in control of the future but that doesn't release us from what he's told us to do today so what we do today is not what's under consideration this is fear and anxiety and worry about the future so in verse 27 very simply anxiety accomplishes nothing that's the third thing that he teaches us there's nothing that we can do uh, we're not in control god is in control so anxiety accomplishes nothing now fourth um, in, in 28 through 30. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. 
And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? This is almost the exact same argument that he made about the birds of the air and the food, but not quite. Uh, The point there is that you're more valuable than the birds that God feeds. And the point here is that uh, you are eternal and the grass and the lilies last for just one day. And yet God clothed them more beautifully than Solomon. So again, it's, it's so closely related that they're almost the same thing. I almost really just decided to combine them uh, in my text. But I think that the emphasis here is on our eternality that, um, you know, this grass comes up, it's cut down, and it's cast in the oven, and, and we eat it um, as bread. And yet our souls are eternal and so god is um intimately involved then in making sure we have what we need because we're his children that we're going to live with him forever and uh anxiety really is a a trust issue so that he brings that up at the end of this passage as well wherefore god so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven shall he not much more clothe ye o ye of little faith So this is where he brings in the concept that what fear and anxiety really is is a lack of faith. It is the opposite. We talked about this a lot. That's why I'm not going to say a whole lot about this because we've already talked about this from our passage in in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And and we even had a title of the message called Faith Over Fear, right? So we understand this concept that when we don't trust the future to God, that's a lack of faith. So when we have anxiety and fear and and distrust, all of those things are really a lack of faith and trust in God uh, to provide what we need for us and that he will have an answer for those things um, that we need. So anxiety really is a trust issue. Trust God uh, that come what may, he will take care of you. Now verse 31, take therefore, now therefore take no thought, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And I'm going to stop right there. So what he's teaching us here is that anxiousness and fear is a worldly character trait. Okay? This is not something that should characterize the people of God. He's just clearly saying, okay, I've said all of these things, so let me review real quick. And he does. He reviews. So, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or how shall we be clothed, all these things we've been talking about. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That's their primary concern. And why? Because this is it. Right? If you don't believe in God, and you're of the world, then this little time that you have in this whole scope of eternity, how how long do men average live now? Is it still around 80? Is the average around 80? Maybe, I don't know. Um, let's just say it's around 80 years. We'll be very generous. Let's say even 90 years. Maybe, maybe you really you know, make it a long time and you make it to 90 or 100. You could even say 200. Still, that's a blip on the radar of all of eternity, right? So to the Gentiles, to the worldly, to those who don't believe in God and don't understand that we are created in his image and we're eternal beings and, and there's more coming, To them, this is it. This is all there is. So the Gentiles, 
They seek after food and after clothing and after pleasure and after comfort now. Whereas to the Christian, our comfort is to come. We have so much better, so much more, so much more abundance that we're going to get to experience that we're not as concerned about the now. Uh, the now is, is not as, as much of a concern to the believer. So he says, um, For after all these things that the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. So the, first, the fifth point was that anxiety is, is of the world. That's, that's number five. Anxiety is of the world, if you're taking notes. And we're splitting a verse, so I'm going to be careful. I stopped right in the middle of verse 32. So that's point number five. 31 and the first part of 32 teach us that anxiety is worldly. And then the second part of 32 tells us another really important truth. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Now this one is kind of it's kind of tough. <laughs> this one is to me a little bit sometimes hard for us to swallow. Did you know that God knows exactly what you need? Not what you want, not what you desire. He knows those things too. But God said he would give us what we need. That is very humbling thing to to experience and to understand because a lot of times we want a lot more than what we actually need and god knows what we can handle and what we can't um you know that's that's always been a very humbling thing for me financially you know to think that god knows what you can handle he provides with you what you can handle well he must not trust me very much i've always thought that um of course i'm, I'm not complaining at all i think the lord's blessed me a lot but especially in those early days when you're just getting out of college and you know, it's, it's, oh, no, do we have grocery money this week? You think, well, God must not trust me a whole lot because <laughs> he hasn't given me a whole lot. But um, we're learning. We're learning to be trusted more with things. So uh, just that concept that he knows what we need is an important concept. And sometimes we forget about the difference in needs and wants. Uh, he knows what we need and when we need it and what's going to bring him glory. So like we said before, have there been cases in history when Christians did starve to death? Yes. Did it bring God glory? Yes. In some way, God got glory out of it. And then they got to go and enjoy um, never being hungry ever again uh, through all of eternity. So God knows what we need, and he provides what we need that brings our good, our ultimate good and his glory. Uh, so another very humbling part of this. Verse 33, but, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So very closely tied to that last point, uh, the argument is that God will supply everything you need to do his will and his righteousness. Yes, he actually promises us that we'll have all the things that we need. And yet we see the martyrs and we see those, but in those things god still receives the glory uh, but we're to seek first the kingdom of god and all these things will be added to you i can just tell you from my experience and i think so many people in this room would would testify to this especially for you young people those of us who have been down the road a little bit further i think we would all testify to you that the times in our life when we really sought first the kingdom of god we didn't have those those other things just became irrelevant 
I mean, they just move away. It, I'm not saying that, you know, maybe there's not times when we may have thought we needed more or wanted more or whatever, but God provided, and he always has. He's faithful, and he'll provide those things that you need if you seek his kingdom first. And, and there's a, that could be a whole sermon in and of itself, and it has been many times. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, seek his face and do what he told you to do. Seek his righteousness. Do right. And in, when you do that, when you put your heart, soul, and mind into serving God, then those, these other things that he's speaking of, they'll be added to you. you you'll, you'll, God will provide what you need uh, in those times But if we seek first his kingdom. Um, I think it's important to note there, because of so many prosperity gospel preachers that are around today, I'm not going to name any names. I'm going to stop doing that. But um, there's so many prosperity gospel preachers out there that would say, use this verse and say, see, if you sow your seed, if you do this, if you give to my ministry or if you attend church regularly, if you do this, then God's going to, you're going to have an increase. God's going to add to you everything that you need. You're going to get a raise at work. You're going to that is not what this verse means at all. It's just taken completely out of context. What it means is God's going to give you what you need. And like we've already discussed, and Jesus has already taught us in this passage, sometimes what we need and what we think we need are different. So this is not a promise for comfort and a life of ease and a life of abundance just because you seek first the kingdom of God. In fact, probably um, it's the opposite. Probably the more you seek the kingdom of God, the less you're even going to be concerned about the worldly things. You're not going to need the raise at work. You're not going to need abundance. You're not going to need a, a new car. And all, you're going to say those things are irrelevant. Uh, and I think if we all really, truly sought the kingdom of God the way that we should, none of us would be concerned with those things uh, to start with. So, so we'll kind of throw that caveat in there. Uh, and then the last one, um, verse... Uh, Verse 34, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And this is the old, old, old advice. Take things one day at a time. So if, you, if you're over, just overly fearful, overly anxious all the time, and that's a sin that you struggle with a lot, one of the best pieces of advice that anybody could give you, and Jesus tells you here, is... Don't worry about tomorrow yet. Get through today. And then tomorrow, start being concerned about tomorrow. And then the next day, be concerned about the next day. Take it one day at a time. Now, like I said, there's, there are some caveats to that. I mean, I think we do have to understand that, you know, I've got to go to work tomorrow or I've got to, I've got to plan. I've got to do some things. But what can you do right now that's going to change tomorrow? Remember the very middle of this passage when he threw that in there? How many of you can add one cubit to your stature just by thinking it? You can't. So he's saying you can't control tomorrow yet. It's not there. There's nothing you can do about it. You need to be concerned about today. And then tomorrow, um, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And I think that's a biblical principle. We could go to a couple other places in Scripture and and show this, that when God says he's not going to put more on you than you can bear, um, he means day by day by day. You start borrowing trouble from a bunch of other days, you may overload yourself in one day. But if you take it day by day by day, he's promised he's not going to put any more on us than we can bear. So sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I really needed that one this week. <laughs> I was, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, 
I knew Lewis was coming, so I had been kind of studying what I knew he was going to speak on. And um, we, our admin team, we're studying this topic all year. So we had had some good Bible studies on this and everything. And then, you know, like I said, I think it was within a two-day period, I found out that I got to have a pulmonary, like, workup done. And then I had a hole in my mouth. And then Sydney got mono. And then I was thinking... Okay, this is getting sufficient. <laughs> you know, he said sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, and I'm thinking, man, this wheelbarrow is getting full. This seems pretty sufficient to me. But you know, God takes care of those things, and you know, you just have to to calm down and say, Lord, I'm turning it over to you. I, I trust you. I have faith in you that you're going to see us through all of these things. And and it's amazing the peace and the comfort that can come just simply because we trust and we look to Him. Uh, for those things that that we have need of so i hope those things have been a blessing to you very practical teaching there uh, from matthew and when we get back into second timothy these things are going to be applied uh, as we go forward uh, in second timothy chapter two he's going to begin to talk about his ministry and and about his call to the ministry and those kinds of things so these these practical things are then going to be important as we begin to talk about uh, the the subjects there in chapter two of second timothy